Good morning, Machias family. I knew that's the third time you probably heard that. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thanks so much for being here. It is a family. And there's a lot of things you could be doing, but you're not doing them. You're doing this. Thanks for coming. Um, we're going to have the kids up in a minute. But first, uh, I, wanna, I, I need to do this. <clears throat> Ken mentioned about the um, playset. We're going to have kind of an impromptu casual dedication service for that right after the service before we go down to eat. Okay, so we're just going to gather around out there. We're going to pray for this thing and um, just kind of dedicate it to the Lord and pray for safety for everybody. So come on out, take a look at it. It's amazing. And then we're going to have a little bit of a dedication. So one of the things I, I also need to do is just tell you a little bit about what happened. Um, maybe I, I was going to do this, but I'll do it anyway. If you had absolutely anything to do with this thing, raise your hand. Okay? There's a ton of people whose efforts went into doing this. Having a playset is really cool. It is really cool. Having the people who love God come together and make it happen in the way that it happened was amazing. It was just amazing. And I am going to call out some people right now. Now, there was a lot of people that went into this, and all of your efforts were appreciated, but some people need some special recognition. They probably don't want it. And I'm not trying to steal your blessing away, but the, Travis and Ashley Overbeck were a major driver. <clears throat> Wayne Rangan is amazing. So he was out there preparing the, the site and doing it. And Wayne and Travis could work all of us under the table and never get tired. It, 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 it puts us all to shame. And um, Nathan let us use his equipment. So thank Nathan when you see him or give him a call or send him a card. It was his machine that Wayne brought in. He wanted to be part of this, of course. It was difficult for him to run the thing now, but um, he, he was part of this. And so remember him in your prayers and thank him for that. Um, but it was just so nice to see God's people come together. We had this thing. Okay, it was a playground set this time. Next time, it's what else are we going to do to connect to the, con to the community that we live in? And that if we have that same effort come together, God can do amazing things through the people in this congregation. So um, don't forget, after the service, we're going to go out there and have just a really brief and informal dedication service. And then I think Jeff took a bunch of pictures, and so eventually we're going to have a, a presentation up here as you saw this whole thing come together. I don't know if we're going to do it in time lapse or not, but it was, it was absolutely amazing to see the whole thing come together. Okay, so there you go. Now, kids, come on up. Oh, yeah. All the kids. Yeah, come on up, come on up, come on up. Okay, don't anybody get nervous. This is not what it looks like. I have no, no ignition source, so. <laughs> okay. Who can tell me what this is? It is a fire extinguisher. And what do we use it for? Putting out fires, right? Okay. Unfortunately, sometimes this is how we treat God in our life. 
that we just need him when there's a fire going on in our life. Now, now we don't necessarily have real fires, and I hope you guys never have to really deal with an actual fire. But sometimes when things in your life are going wrong, it seems like it. And so lots of us want to call on God when the things are really hot, right? When things are going wrong, and, and we treat God like a fire extinguisher that he's only there to help us out of trouble when we get into trouble. And is God there to help us when, we get, when we're in trouble? Yes, he is. So he is kind of like this fire extinguisher at times. But that's not the only time we want God to be in our life, is it? Okay, so keep that fire extinguisher right there for now. What about this? Okay, there actually is no gas in here for safety purposes, but you got the idea. Do, do, that's right. Do any of you or do you know if your family drive a... Tesla. No. Okay. So this is, prob <laughs> this, is, this is probably going to work for the illustration. This would be holding gas. What happens when your car doesn't have any of this? It won't move. Very good. It doesn't start and it doesn't run, does it? So we want God to be the gas of our life. Yeah? Thank you. Isn't that nice? So if God was the gas, he could have helped her too, right? We could share God with people when they run out of gas. There you go. Good illustration. When people run out of gas of God, they need more God, right? Okay, so if this was like God in your life, he would be in there providing the power to run your life, just like gas runs the life of a car. And so here's what we want. Here's what we want. We want God to be both of these things. We want God to be the power that runs your life, that you rely on him for everything, right? Because we want God to be part of that because he, he loves us. What, what would be important for somebody who runs your life? It's kind of like your parents right now. What would be good if they run your life? What would be a good thing for them to do? Okay, your grandma. But would it be really good if whoever was running your life loved you a lot? Yeah, wouldn't it? And, and, and how about if he could control everything that happened? Would that be good if someone was running your life? Yeah. And what if he knew what was best for you and would always do that? Okay, that's what God is. So we want God to be both the power that runs our life, but he also is there when we have trouble and he can put out the fire. So that's what we want, this combination of God, the power to run our life and be there when we're in trouble. Because it says in Psalms, right, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because God's with me. Okay, now, this is, this is a two-part lesson. we got to remember this part, though, okay? I'm going to set these over here. Now I'm going to tell you a story. You're going to see kind of both parts, but then we're going to have a question. So there were three guys, they have kind of weird names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you probably already heard this story, right? I know some of you probably have. And do you know anybody named Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego? Do you? Um, yeah? Your name is it? No, you just know someone? We don't use those names very much, but they were three of the children of God. And they lived back in a country, um, and they were Jews. And 
the nation of Israel had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians, and they had a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And so he had picked out these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they were really smart, and God had given them really good capability to run things, so they were running, helping him run the country. But then he created an idol out of gold, and he wanted people to worship him instead of God. And in fact, he said, if you don't, when you hear this music play, if you don't bow down and worship this image that I made, I'm going to throw you into the fire. And so they didn't do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were children of God, and they said, we are not going to do that. In fact, let me read you the verse that it says. So anyway, they, the music played, and they didn't bow down. So the king brought them in, and he said, I'm going to give you one more chance. You're going to bow down and worship this idol that I made, or I'm going to throw you into the fire. And they, they said, even if you would kill us, even if you, we know you can kill us, but we also know our God can deliver us from your hand, O majesty. But even if he doesn't, we will never serve your God. We will only serve the God that's real. Okay. So he threw him in the fire. Would you like to hear the rest of the story? Yes. yes. Why? Why do you want to know the rest of it? They said they were going to worship God. They said, okay, I'm not going to bow down. He said, I'm going to throw you into the fire. In fact, he made the fire so hot, so hot, that the people who threw him into the fire were overcome by the heat and died. That's how hot it was. And he threw him in. Now what? I don't know. Yeah. There you go. And that's a problem for us. That's a problem for us sometimes. We want to know the end of the story. But guess what? These guys had both of those things. They didn't know the end of the story, but they had faith that God would save them. And so they had both God as their fire extinguisher, but they also had God as their power. And, and they didn't need to know the end of the story, but guess what God did? He, they, the king threw these guys in there. And then he starts looking around. He says, hey, we threw these. And they're walking around in there like nothing's going wrong. And he's, in fact, he said, I see four people instead of three. And the fourth one looks like an angel. That was God protecting them. And they came out. And the king says, well, you must, your God must be the real God. And they walked out of there. And not even their hair was singed. And they didn't smell like smoke. And they were not hurt. Because they trusted in God. So that's the point here. But my question is, why is it do we need to know the end of the story? Yeah, because now they trusted God, even though they didn't need the end of the story. And that's, that's why they could combine those two things, the gas and the fire extinguisher. But God knows that that's hard for us. And so he gave us the Bible. And guess what's in the Bible? The end of the story. And we all know now, because God told us in the Bible, how it all ends. And it's going to be the same kind of story for people who trust God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Same ending. God's going to save us. All right, very good. That's what these people are going to hear when you guys go downstairs. We'll see you outside after church, right? You guys can have, How many of you have looked at the play set? Pretty cool, isn't it? All right. Thank you.
So no joke, that is what you're going to hear. So first of all, I bet you're amazed that we finally got off point number five, the Holy Spirit, after four weeks, um, we finally got through it. I am actually going to try to do this in one sitting. Point number six. We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost. They're saved into the resurrection of life, and then they are lost into the resurrection of the damnation. I don't know about you, but that kind of seems to me like the epitome of, hey, I got some good news and I got some bad news. The thing about this is it's real. And, and God has given us the rest of the story. So what is, it, what is it that we're really saying here? What is it when we say we believe that there's going to be a resurrection and it says of both people, right? This is one of those, um, there's two kinds of people in the world. Except this is the ultimate. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are two kinds of people that have ever lived. Those that are going to be raised to be saved and those that are going to be raised to be judged and then punished. It's pretty clear where you want to be. But you know what? We struggle with that. And people, this is one of the, the, the big questions that people struggle with. What exactly is going to happen? So um, one of the questions that I ask, and I know it's, it's great at parties, right? What do you think is going to happen when, you, when we die? When I want to get someone to uh, start thinking about spiritual things, I ask them that question. I've done it a number of times with people, and it's actually pretty effective to start a conversation about spiritual things so that I can share the gospel with them. And I say, what do you think is going to happen when we die? And you would be surprised how many people have different answers. Or maybe you wouldn't. What do you think? Do you think we agree as people what's going to happen when we die? No, mostly not. In fact, all religions have these different ideas about how that's all going to work out, but Christianity has the definitive truth. Does it matter whether you believe it or not? No, it's going to happen anyway, right? It doesn't matter. Truth is that way. It doesn't matter whether you believe it, whether you reject it, whether you're ignorant of it. Whether you just want to turn the other way, none of that matters. It's going to happen. This is the way it ends. There is an end to the story, and this is it. We're going to look at that. And so what, what is it that we're saying here? There is two ways to go. You're either going to be resurrected, and we believe in that. We believe the Bible says that. And you're going to be with Jesus forever for life, or you're going to be resurrected, and you're going to spend the rest of your eternity separated from God. And that's what this means, the damnation. And so we're going to look at that. Why do you think we have this in here in the first place? It is a choice, but, but why do you think we pick this as one of the main statements of faith? Because it's true, and it's in the Bible, and, and there are tons of things that are true and in the Bible, but we select this one because we know that this is the ultimate destiny, and there's a choice to be made in this life, and it is very, very serious. And a lot of people that I've talked to just say, well, I think when we're dead, um, that's it. We just go into the dirt, and there's, and there's nothing after this. But Christianity is built completely around the fact that we have a hope that exists because there's going to be an eternity with a heaven to be attained or a hell to be avoided. 
Now, I know it's really not popular anymore, and there was a time in Christian history when, you know, preaching hellfire and damnation was really popular, and, you know, you could kind of just smell it if you thought about it long enough, and trying to scare people into heaven. And I'm not really trying to do that, but I am going to give you the fact of what the Bible says, that, that if you don't choose the way you should, you're going to end up in a place for eternity without God. And that's absolutely true. We need to know that. And we need to be able to share that with others because all paths don't lead to God. That is what's out there. This truth that Christianity is just one way is not the truth. And so we need to know there actually is a heaven and there actually is a hell. And when people are resurrected, and we're going to talk about some of the details of that, when people are resurrected, one set is going to be judged and sent to hell. And the other set is going to be resurrected and given their rewards and spend the rest of their eternity in heaven with Jesus. We believe that as a people. And it is a foundational part of the hope that we have. So we're going to look at some things about that. Let's first of all take a look at the scriptures. Because when we say we believe, why do we believe again? Because it says so in the Bible. That's why. That's the only reason we believe it, because that's where we get our truth for all faith and practice. And so what does the Bible say? Does the Bible say there's going to be a resurrection of the saved and the damned? Yes, it does. Okay. So this is Jesus. And it's actually kind of interesting. He's talking to a group of Pharisees who had confronted him after he had healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. How many of you remember that story? Right? He'd been laying there all this time, and every time the pool was stirred up, he'd try to get in, and nobody was there to help him in. He couldn't drag himself in in time. And so Jesus had healed him, but guess what? It was on the Sabbath. This is a, this is a whole other sermon. But, um, so they were all up in arms. How could you save someone's life on the Sabbath? And Jesus like, Really? Really? Is not this man's life more important than your rules? And all the stupid rules that you guys have come up with, you're missing the point totally. And so he healed the man, and so they were after him a little bit. And he starts to tell them about the message. This is one of the first times when he's publicly declaring himself to be Messiah. And so this is what he's saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, sent me, he's talking about himself, he is claiming to be the son of man, he will, will have eternal life. And he will not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And that doesn't mean physical death to life. He's, that's spiritual. You, when you believe in me, he says, you will have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's eternal life. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Is he talking about dead people physically? He's talking about all people who are dead spiritually and those that actually hear the voice of God and respond are going to live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs... Now this he is talking about people who are dead. All who are in the tombs are going to hear his voice. So everybody that's dead physically is dead, is going to hear the voice when he returns. And they're going to come out. And they're going to be resurrected. And those who have done good are going to go to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil 
to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus himself is saying, look, there's going to come a time. There's going to be, come a time when all this is, you're seeing is done, and I'm going to return, and people are going to be resurrected. Now, the Bible goes on later, which we're going to look at in a little bit, to tell us some of the details of what that's going to happen, because it's two different times, according to Scripture, when the saved are resurrected, and then when the, when the unsaved are resurrected. It's two different resurrections, the first resurrection and the second resurrection. But nonetheless, both are going to happen. Okay, so here's the, here's the five points we're going to look at. There's an end to this life as we know it. It's not going to go on forever. Now, sometimes seeing where the world is today, I think tomorrow would be good. And it seems like that, doesn't it? It seems like we're in a time that's really evil. But God's in control, and he knows when that day is, uh, and he alone knows when that day is. But there is going to come a time when this is it. We've had enough. The last Gentile comes in. I'm going to come down. I'm going to close up shop, and, and, and there's going to be a reckoning. And so this is the telling of that end. There is an end, and that's something that the world will say, no, 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 we're just going to keep going on. And the Bible says, hey, people say that all the time. They just, oh, it's going to keep going on and going on, and they get married, and they're making plans. God says, nope, there's coming a time when I'm going to stop this experiment of humanity in its broken form, and I'm going to fix it. This is the telling of that end. And there's only two ways it's going to go, right? You're either going to go and be reconciled to God and spend eternity with Him, or you're going to go the other way. Now, I recognize that most of you, most of you I know, not everybody, but I, most of you I know in your Christians, you probably heard a lot of this all of your Christian life, and this is not anything new, but that's pretty much typical of all the things we've been talking about in our statement of faith. So it's probably not new information, but there's going to be some reasons as we get down to five why I think you need to think about this again. There's only one way to ensure that your end is going to be the good one, right? There's only one way. Um, all of the other religions, all of the other pathways that you hear about don't lead to anything but destruction. And that is a very, very unpopular stand in our culture today. You're going to be called judgmental and bigoted. Because what do you mean you've got the only way? What do you mean that yours is the only way to be saved? What about all these other religions? What about their teachings? What about their people? Aren't they good? Are you just saying everybody else except you Christians are evil or are going to go to hell? Well, I'm not saying that, but the Bible is. And so you have to know that, that there is only one way, and there's only one way to make sure that you end up on the right side of God. But here's the, the, the last thing that we're going to end up with and why I think it's important to think about this. And this is one of the reasons why I had the little story I had. We need the end of the story, people. And it should cause some things in us. We should be able to have some joy and some confidence and some peace and assurance by knowing the end of the story. This life is difficult. God knows that. And so he gave us as a gift. Guess what? I'm going to tell you right now. How many of you have ever seen The Wizard of Oz? I know I'm dating myself. I didn't. The Wizard of Oz was like the thing. I mean, we would literally, as kids, plan for a whole year that night. I remember once my room was really messy. And my mom says, if you don't get that room clean, you can't watch The Wizard of Oz. 
We cleaned it. And I mean, I, we had dumped over puzzles and we had our Legos and they were everywhere. And it was probably a four-hour project, but my brother and I cleaned that room because we were going to be there for the Wizard of Oz. But I remember the first time I saw the Wizard of Oz and the, and, and the, the, the hourglass. Remember that? The hourglass and they were trying to chop the door down and it's like, uh, I couldn't stand the anxiety. But guess what? They got her out in time and she went home. And so the second time I watched it, it wasn't that scary, right? My anxiety is, Dorothy going to live? Where's the witch going to get her? And God says, look, I'm going to give you the end of the story so that the anxiety that you have about the things that are going on as they are chopping away at the door trying to get in, and it seems like the hourglass is running out, I'm going to tell you right now how it ends. We win. We win. And it's going to be so glorious and so wonderful, we need to hold on to that when things are tough. And so we're going to talk about that as we get to the end of this. I'm thinking we're going to get through this whole thing, maybe. Okay, so this is, there actually is an end, right? There is an end to this, and Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give up its light, will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then there will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from all four winds from one end of heaven to another. The the disciples had asked Jesus, Jesus, what's going to look like when you come back? The end of the age, they called it. What's the end of the age going to look like? And Jesus says, this is how it's going to happen. So you want some details as far as how is this thing going to all end up? Well, this is how it's going to go. Jesus is going to return. And he's going to gather all of those that are his from the four winds. So this is it. In Hebrews 9.27, you see it says, And just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. That's what it's saying. Now, this is a little bit different. And, and maybe I'm giving some people some information that you don't have. But being the smart aleck that I am, which I am. I think I've told you this story before. I, I would go down to Aquafest or um, the one here, uh, Kahaya Days, and there's always this church that has this sign out, and it says, if you died tonight, do you know if you'll go to heaven? And I would tell them, no, and neither will you, because that's not heaven yet. Now, you can call it that, but it actually is an intermediate place, and so when you die physically, you're going to go to paradise. And there's two sections in there from what we know from Scripture, and there's the good part and there's the bad part. What we have learned from the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, that Lazarus goes to the right part. So there is a place where you go when you die, and it's either the good spot of paradise or it's the bad place in paradise. But at some point when Jesus comes again, he's bringing you with him, right? So you're going to come back and raise from the dead... But that's where you go. But, but basically, this is it. And then you said that, you know, you got a choice to make. <clears throat> Everything we know from Scripture is this is it, folks. This time that you have on earth, there's no second chances according to Scripture. It's, you're either going to make this decision now in this life, which in the context of eternity seems like, wow, it's like this tiny little moment in time is going to determine the rest of eternity that's billions and millions of billions of of years long. There's no end to it, and I have to make that choice now, and it's going to happen now. And it says, look, this is it. When you die, that's it. You're appointed once, 
And then you're going to be judged one way or another, going to the good or going to the bad. So it's very, very serious. And it appears from Scripture that the only chance we get to make that decision is now, in this life, share that with people. Okay, so he goes on to tell us that there's two ways this can go. But we don't want to be, you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. So basically he's saying, this is Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica. And there's been a lot of things going on, telling people different things about how it's all going to end. And he's saying, look, I need to set this straight. Some people are saying, look, if you're dead, it's too late. How's God going to put you back together? I need to be alive when Jesus comes back or I have no chance. No. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning dead, not just asleep. That you not grieve as those who have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So what he's saying there is, look, it's all, everybody that's one of God's children is going to participate together. God is either going to raise them from the dead and give them new bodies, those that have died already, or when you are alive, he's going to change you in the twinkling of an eye, and we're going to look at that in a minute. For the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a cry of a command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so those that have died are going to be resurrected. This is that resurrection that we said we believe in of believers who are going to be be raised again to their reward. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so then we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another. That was the good news. Now let's look at the bad news. In Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne. Now, first I have to say this. Um, This is not a sermon on eschatology, even though we are going to have some of those. There's a lot of different points about this. Recognize that this is the book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic language. It's not to be taken literally. Um, There is a lot of symbolism, but the events are still there. So let's take a look. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and the sky fled away, for there was no place found for them. And then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in these books according to what they had done. So there's the book that's open that's not the book of life, and then there's the other one that's in the book of life. Which one do you think you want to be in? the book of life. And the sea gave up its dead and those that were in it, and death and Hades gave up their dead and who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. So what it's saying there is there's going to be a resurrection of those who have died or those who have, are still alive and we're not believers in Christ, and they're going to stand before God, and the books will be opened. Now, I don't believe that there's an actual book. I don't think God needs a book. I think he has all the information. is totally memorized. But as an illustration to us, there is going to be two lists of people, 
those that accepted Jesus Christ and were saved by his sacrifice on the cross, and those who didn't. And so that's the bad news. And there's going to be two things, and you want to be on the right side of that one. Then we get to that point that says there's only one way to make sure that you're on the right list, and that's Jesus. Now, is that news to most people here? No. But it's something we need to remember. This message is not popular. Jesus says it. That's how come I know it's true. That's how come I can say it. And Jesus said, how many of you have ever been accused of being bigoted when you said Christianity is the only way to be saved? It's not a popular message right now. But the reason that you can say it is because Jesus said it. And he said this in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to be reconciled back to God. There's only one way to ensure you're on the right list. There's only one way to know that you're going to spend your eternity in heaven with God, and that is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, accepting him as your Lord and Savior. And we're going to see that in... uh, Oops. Okay, I did something again. And John 3.16 tells us this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what he says. There's, there's a pathway, and it takes a split in your life. You're either going to go down the one that says, I'll be reconciled to God, and God wants you to do that. And the only way to know for sure that you are saved is to accept Jesus Christ. In Acts 16, 30 and 31, it says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, this was Paul uh, in Acts, or in Peter, I guess it was Peter. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will save. You will be saved. And then in Romans 10, 9, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in him in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the one and only way to ensure that you're going to have the good ending of life. Again, this is not something you've probably never heard before, but it is extremely important. There's just one way, and that is the news that we have. That is the message of hope that we have. There is something better. All of this is going to end, and there's going to be a reckoning, and the only way to make sure that you are on the right side of it is to accept Jesus Christ now, now in this life, not tomorrow. None of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Life is very, very fragile. We look around and I see we've all experienced it in our lives somewhere. Something we thought was going to be safe. Something we thought, okay, we'll just make plans. And whether it's in your life or whether it's in the life of one of your loved ones, we know we are not guaranteed tomorrow. There's an urgency to this message. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know this. We're all either going to, he's either going to come back or we're going to die. Probably most of us in this room are going to see death before Jesus returns, but I don't know. It could be any time. But there is an urgency to this message because there is only one way and we have that hope and it says share the hope that we have with others. And that is one of the reasons we come here. We come here to be equipped as people, as the saints, to do the work of the ministry and one of the works of the ministry is to share the hope that we have with the community of Machias. And you all have a part, like we had a part in putting the playset together, we all have a part in God's kingdom of sharing the hope that we have. Now, I know there are people here today that were invited by other people here today. 
And that's part of that process. And we need to do the same thing with the playset. We need to do with sharing our faith, sharing the hope that we have with the people that are in our lives because this is the only chance they're going to have right here in this life. And we have no idea when that life will be up. I've shared this before with you, and you know I had a younger brother. None of us knew anything was wrong. And one day he was just gone. We don't know when our last day is going to be. We don't know when the last day of our loved ones is going to be. We need to be sharing the hope with everyone we possibly can. So what reactions should this, this news have for us? What do you think? What reactions should we have if we know the end of the story? Hopefully, you have joy. I know I've shared this. The, the first six verses, or actually three through seven in First Peter chapter one, was this thing I was holding on to. I was, it was describing, I have this inheritance, and it's, it's kept safe by God, and it can never perish and never fail. And I had to look at that when my life was going sideways, when I lost my brother and it seemed like there was nothing I could count on, I had to grasp a hold of 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, and say, even now I can find joy if I think about the end of the story. And more and more as life gets more difficult, we need to remember the end of the story and find the joy in the things that can never be taken away in the midst of the trials that we're suffering today because they hurt and they're hard. And God knows that and he's given us the end of the story so that we can find that joy when everything around us is bad. Right now, the Bible is telling us and Jesus is giving us the opportunity to have joy in spite of our circumstances. But he's telling us the hope and the truth that there's going to be one day that you will find love and peace and joy and satisfaction because of your circumstances. Because I'm going to change your circumstances and there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain and no more sin. And we need to hang on to that when things are tough. So God gave us the rest of the story, both so we could know, but also so we could have joy, but also so we could have hope, so we could have confidence, so we could have assurance. It's very, very difficult to have those things when you're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. When, when you think that the world is out of control, how do I find the things that God wants for me to now? I have to focus on the end of the story, that God is in control, that it's all working itself out according to His pleasure and that he has my best interest at heart. God is working all things together for the good of those who've been called those who are his. And so keep that in mind as we think about the end of the story, this resurrection of the, of the, of the good, the resurrection of those that are saved, the resurrection of those that aren't saved. That's the end of the story, and if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're on the good side of that, and you need to remember that, to give you hope, to give you joy, to give you strength, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those guys were amazing. They literally saw the fiery furnace and they said, we don't care because we know the end of this. Our God is bigger than you. Throw us in. God can save us, but even if he doesn't, so what? We know where we're going. I don't know how they knew. But they knew, and that's what God wants for us. That, that confidence, knowing the end of the story, to stand in front of the fiery furnace and say, I don't care, I am not afraid, because God 
has my back, and I know where I'm going. And that is a message that is so important for us today. So even if you've heard all the rest, even if you knew this was going to happen, even if you know the way to, to salvation is only through Jesus, remember when times get tough about the end of the story. And so that's a gift from God. And he wants us to use that hope and share it with others. And so 1 Peter 3.15 says this, In your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy, but be prepared to make a defense to anyone or give a response to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect. That's what God wants us to do, not only to find confidence in our own lives when times are tough, but to share this hope that we have. We are living in a time when there is very little hope in our culture. So much has been taken away. There's no truth. Truth itself has been attacked, and people are desperate out there for something to hold on to, and we know the end of the story. We have hope when there seems to be no hope. We have peace when there seems to be nothing that's generating peace in this life. We need to have that for our own confidence, but we need to share it with others. Let's pray. Um, Dear Father, um, we are those kinds of people I know that are constantly asking the whys, and, and we're confused and we're frightened and we doubt, but you've given us the end of the story in your word. Lord, help us to find that peace, that joy, that confidence, that strength by knowing even in the midst of the, of the storm, even when we're standing in front of the fiery furnace, that, that you're in control, that you love us, that you're working things together for our good, that you have the bigger story, that you're in control, and that we are going to at one point be with you forever, completely healed. Help us, Lord, to use that for the strength when things are tough. We thank you and we praise you for saving us, but we also thank you for sustaining us. So, Lord, just help us rely on you completely as both the gas and the fire extinguisher. In Jesus' name, amen.